This is an ABC podcast. Australia's Crocodile Dundee, Paul Hogan, convinced international tourists in the 80s to visit with this ad. Come and say good day. I'll slip an extra shrimp on the barbie for you. Come and say while Lara Bingle's $180 million campaign in 2006 had us all scratching our heads. So where the bloody hell are you? Today we ask, will our new tourism ambassador, Ruby the Roo, bring much-needed international tourists to regional Australia? I'm Sinead Mangan and this is Australia Wide, coming to you from Wajuk Country. We start in the southeast of the country, where residents across parts of regional New South Wales, Victoria and Tasmania are facing wet and windy conditions and possible evacuations as a major flood threat continues. Emily Doak is our reporter in Wagga Wagga in the Riverina. Now, Emily, let's head just north of you to the central west town of Forbes. Evacuation orders have been put in place this afternoon. What's the latest there? That's right, Sinead. Now, Forbes is on the Lachlan River and the State Emergency Service has issued evacuation orders for large parts of Forbes. 78 streets are included in that evacuation order, about 250 homes, and it's estimated about 500 residents would be affected. Those communities are being told to evacuate before 8 o'clock tonight because the rising river level is expected to cut access to those properties and major Flooding is possible along the Lachlan River at Forbes from today and it's expected to peak near 10.6 metres tomorrow. And uh, speaking with some of my colleagues who've been out in the field reporting this afternoon, they say that uh, the community is calm. There's a lot of sandbagging going on in that community. It's something, this sort of flooding is something that they've seen a number of times in the past 12 months as that Lachlan River has risen. So it's something they're very familiar with and the community is preparing at the moment. What about in the Riverina where you are at the moment? The Murrumbidgee River has peaked, and but there is concerns for low-lying areas. What are the main concerns there? Yeah, here in Wagga Wagga, we saw the flood peak come through uh, in the early hours of this morning and it got up to 9.22 metres and that's slightly lower than what the State Emergency Service was expecting. There are a number of low-lying areas on the outskirts of Wagga Wagga which are outside the levee bank and there there was concern that some of those areas would become isolated. One of the, the key ones is North Wagga Wagga and that wasn't actually cut off by these flood waters uh, with the moderate flooding that we saw but we did see a few suburbs where roads have been cut and that access for some of those residents has been impacted. Now as the river levels fall and the flood peak moves further west down the Murrumbidgee River, the attention is now moving further west and it's expected that we'll see moderate flooding at Naran from tomorrow. I spoke with a farmer who's between Wagga Wagga and Narandra this afternoon and he was telling me that a lot of his property has been inundated already with about 60 centimetres of water across his property and he says it's heartbreaking as it's moved into his hybrid seed canola crop that he was growing which was quite a valuable crop but he doesn't expect that he'll be able to salvage much of that crop now. So I suppose for some of those farming areas they really have to wait till the water recedes to see what the impact will be. Emily Doak and Wagga Wagga, thank you.
Moving south to Victoria now, where more than 70 warnings are in place across the state. Our reporter in central Victoria is Shannon Schubert. Now, Shannon, Rochester is one of the communities of concern. What do you know about what's happening there? That's right. Rochester is expecting what could be a one in 200 year flood event with the wet weather that we've seen today across central Victoria to continue tomorrow and Saturday. So we expect tomorrow will be the worst of will be the worst for the weather but on Saturday the Campaspe River in Rochester is expected to peak. So though that community of Rochester, the businesses there, they've been sandbagging for two days now. Um, some residents have chosen to evacuate today and businesses are closing in Rochester and are prepared for what could potentially be really devastating floods there. Aside from Rochester, what other towns and communities are there concerned for? Authorities are quite concerned about Seymour and Barnardown. So there is a watch and act warning in place for the Campassi River from Barnardown, from Lake Epilogue to Barnardown. So these include basically every community along the um, Campassi River there. There are also watch and acts in place for a lot of the rivers in Victoria, including the Avoca River, the Loddon River and the Murray River. But for those living on the Campassi River, what authorities are quite concerned about is... Um, those in low-lying areas, and they are actually being told to move to higher ground immediately. So in Seymour, authorities are actually predicting that flood levels there could be record-breaking over the next two days. And that flooding is then going to move up north towards Shepparton, up to the Goulburn River. And so uh, the flood impact could be huge here in Victoria, across central Victoria, northern Victoria. And then, of course, in the south with the massive ranges in Melbourne, also set to experience some very severe storms and some Severe weather and, yeah, some flash flooding there tomorrow is expected as well. Shannon, schools and childcare centres are closed. How long will that go on for? That's a great question, Sinead. We do have a number of schools across central Victoria from Bendigo to Kyneton to Castlemaine closed today. Um, there are preparations already in place for a lot of these schools and childcare centres to stay closed tomorrow. We expect that those closures will expand to other areas of the state as well as this weather moves across the state and as the rivers spill across the state as well. So we, we don't know how widespread these closures will be yet, but we know certainly in central Victoria there are several schools and several childcare centres that we're calling parents today asking them to pick up their children and we're expecting those children will also stay at home tomorrow. Shannon Schubert, thank you. You're listening to ABC Australia Wide. Let's head to Tasmania's flood-affected north where rescues have taken place, evacuation centres have been opened and the port of Davenport, Devonport, has been closed and shipping movement suspended. Our reporter Monty Bovell joins us. Now, Monty, a dramatic day in Tasmania's north. How are conditions right now where you are? Yeah, it's been certainly uh, dramatic is absolutely the word for it. And it's been a a very um, intense and nervous wait for many of the residents here in northern Tasmania. And it's going to be a long night ahead for uh, many communities. So I'm here in the northwest town of Latrobe, but the rain has not let up all day today. Um, So certainly um, a lot of people concerned here. Uh, I'm on the banks of the the Mersey River, uh, which is absolutely flowing very fast. I've uh, I've seen it sort of rise over the day uh, and it's just broken its banks um, on the Latrobe Township side of the river. Um, So police and SES are mobilising to close some roads in the area. I've just spoken to the, the caravan park owner here in Latrobe. He's 
are not very far away from the river. He's evacuating all 25 guests that have been staying at the, the caravan park. So it's a bit of a, a escalation um, here in Latrobe, and it's certainly going to only get worse over the coming hours. So far, Monty, do you know whether homes and properties have been affected? Well, we know that some uh, properties have been affected, not here uh, exactly in Latrobe, but a few, we don't know exactly how many homes um, and if any homes have been impacted, but certainly properties, uh, whether it be sheds, whether it be farms, uh, whether it be uh, garages, we've certainly um, seen and talked to many people today that have had um, some sort of inundation. Uh, obviously, uh, I'm in Latrobe. In Back in 2016, Tasmania had some devastating floods um, and this event was warned to be very similar to that event. Uh, in that event, um, much of uh, Latrobe's main street was underwater. At the moment, it's nowhere near at that stage, but certainly uh, the warnings are that it could get to that stage over the, the coming hours, the night ahead and the days ahead as well. So certainly uh, a nervous wait for a lot of people. The port's been closed and shipping movement suspended. How long do you think that'll go on for? Well, there's multiple uh, rivers and, and, and everything that is um, hotspots right now for flooding. And one of them is the Mersey River. And that Mersey River um, ends at the port of Devonport. Basically, that's the mouth of the Mersey River and then it heads into Bass Strait. Now, the port of Devonport really is Tasmania's connection to the mainland. This is where a lot of our freight movement comes from, including the Spirit of Tasmania. Now, a number of Spirit of Tasmania ferry sailings have been cancelled and uh, the port operations have, have been suspended. That happened from midday today and it's likely uh, going to continue for the next few days as well. So, a lot of disruption there um, and a lot of travellers um, coming and uh, coming in and and to Tasmania, but also going back to the mainland. That have been it's the end of school holidays here in Tassie as well. So a lot of um, a lot of change of plans for people in the days ahead. Don't reckon you'd want to be on that sea right now, though. Nonetheless, um, even if it is changing your plans, what about the forecast for tomorrow? Well, what we know is that the rain is is expected to continue here until the early hours of tomorrow morning, and then it's expected to fine up, which is which is good news. But obviously, uh, we've we've had sustained rain since late on Wednesday night um, until and and expected to continue until uh, Friday morning. So it's a lot of rain, but um, good news is that there isn't a whole lot more on the forecast after Friday morning. Um, but, you know, that rain that is still going to fall between now and then has to go somewhere and it's likely to end up in these communities uh, further downstream. So uh, there's been some incredible rainfall totals, some record-breaking October rainfalls for Tasmania over the last 24 hours or so. So certainly, um, yeah, uh, a changing situation, uh, an evolving situation and a very uh, intense situation for many of the residents. Monty, I reckon you're going to have to ring out your socks and be ready for your, with your gum boots again tomorrow. Thanks for chatting to Australia Wide. Thank you so much. All around the country, you're on ABC Australia Wide. I eat corn sometimes and my mum cooks it in the oven. Well, Charles, how much rain did we have? He said, no, none. I said, you're mad, man. ABC Australia Wide. Because I came from Wingard area where it rains and rains and rains. And when it's not raining, it's raining more. On ABC Radio. America, you look like you need a holiday. A fair income holiday. In the land of wonder. The land down under. Now, there's a few things I've got to warn you about. Firstly, you're going to get wet. Because the place is surrounded by water. Oh, and you're going to have to learn to say good day. 
course, every day's a good day in Australia. G'day, Paul. G'day, love. Not a lot of crocs out here, huh? It's just 37,000 miles of pristine beach, mate. Did you know that Australia makes some of the finest wines in the entire world? Okay. Thank you very much. Wait, hold up. This isn't a movie. G'day from WA. And we've been rehearsing for over 40,000 years. So, everybody, how are you? Come and say good day. I'll slip an extra shrimp on the barbie for you. A smattering of the ads put together by Australian tourism boards to lure international visitors to our shores. But are they effective and are they worth the big spend? Tourism Australia has launched a new ad in Tokyo and a new brand ambassador. Ruby the Roo, a computer-generated kangaroo. She's voiced by Australian actress Rose Byrne and Ruby asked tourists to come say g'day. But will it work? Dr. Monica Chen is a senior lecturer from the University of Queensland's Business School and she's also an expert in consumer behaviour. And as it turns out, she is in Tokyo right now. First off, um, Dr. Chen, Ruby the Roo, what do you make of this new strategy to move away from like, well, I suppose what we would think of as a true blue Aussie character to using a computer-generated route to champion Australia to the world. Lovely to be back here in Tokyo, actually. And I last night I went to the location, had a look of the big billboard showing this new campaign, and the location couldn't be better. To many Japanese, Australia's beautiful nature breathtaking coastline, spaciousness and laid-back atmosphere offers a sense of oasis, allowing people to escape from the crowds and stress associated with their day-to-day life in such a big city. As a quintessential Australian icon, Ruby the Rule actually immediately resonates with Japanese, their familiarity with mascots often used by cities and prefectures. It also speaks directly to Japanese love for humanized animals. What about, you know, we heard Laura Bingle there, or Lara Bingle, I should say, the ad where she said, where the bloody hell are you? How would that go down in Japan? Was there too much going on in that ad or was that considered successful? I think it, firstly, translation-wise, it may be a bit difficult. The phrase may be interpreted differently in different cultures, um, but I don't think that would offend um, the consumers. You're you're in Japan at the moment and you, Japan has recently opened up. Also, people are starting to travel internationally again. What are you hearing from Japanese people about their appetite for travel? Japanese government has just started um, a new domestic travel incentive campaign um, this week. I'm encouraging domestic um, tourists to encouraging encor- encouraging local residents to travel um, to their domestic destinations. So there is certainly a pent up demand as a result of restrictions associated with COVID, and so people are yearning to go back to. Um, nature and people are yearning to go to different, to travel to different cities and locations, inter- including international destinations. Now, many Japanese people, from what I heard, have went back to destinations like Hawaii, which is one of the all-time, all-time favorite for Japanese people. Right. 
Um, and many people are also planning to travel internationally to some of the nearby destinations, such as Taiwan. And I guess the reason for Japanese people to travel to these destinations is that, number one, Hawaii has always had that sense of familiarity. People know what to expect, and they're also looking for nature, for beautiful um, beaches and, and um, good dining um, options in Hawaii. For Taiwan, it is um, because of the distance. And I think Australia is in a similar position um, in, in terms of our, our brand competitiveness, that Japanese people would find that Australia is relatively safe compared to the US, compared to Europe. Um, Australia has a very relaxing and laid back atmosphere, which actually um, is what people are looking for mm. um, post-COVID. What about the closure of Australia? very quickly during COVID. Do Japanese people think about that or talk about that in terms of, well, this, that, that, that's a risk? You know, has that put a risk into the whole story that they're selling with Australia? No, I actually think that could actually play in Australia's favourite. Um, Japan, while it didn't introduce any of the mandatory lockdowns in the countries, um, people would actually, um, they, they feel a sense of following the rules. For example, Japanese people, they're still wearing masks. You see, it is a very much of a masked up society now, even when going outside. So whether we go outside on the train, on public transportation or indoors, we are all wearing masks still now. And um, so the the closure of Australia's border actually may play in the favor in, in a sense that um, people were, Japanese people, um, as naturally they are more risk aversive, they will see it as a measure to protect Australia, to make Australia a safer place. And therefore, we have managed COVID very well. In terms of the global economy, there's many predictions that there could be a recession on the cards. How important then, which will affect tourism? Or do you think that's, a, do you think it's going to be difficult to get the tourism dollar to Australia given the, the, um, the global economy at the moment? If we're talking about Japanese markets, yes, that may be, um, it may take some time for the Japanese travelers to make a decision. And that's simply because of the yen is very weak at the moment. And so, um, Japanese people may initially, um, they may be prepared to spend their holiday domestically, but certainly I can see the pent up demand here for traveling overseas. The West Australian Tourism Board, before I let you go, they have also launched a campaign in the last couple of months. Let's have a listen to that. So if you haven't seen this ad, there's flying whale sharks and dancers moving through gorges, which couldn't be any more different to the Ruby, the Rue approach. What is this ad trying to achieve, Dr. Monica Chin? It again creates an image of like an oasis. So it is um, a friendly environment that provides beautiful natures, vast coastlines, um, you know, allowing people to forget about stress associated with the city or their day-to-day -day life. Um, so it definitely resonates with the typical image of Australia, which is important in the Japanese market because that's what appeals to them. 
Japanese people may not necessarily want to travel to another city because they have plenty of that here in Japan already. What they want is to experience a sense of freedom, a sense of rejuvenation, and they want that from destinations like Western Australia, for example. In terms of money spent, are these ads worth it? Yes, definitely. Australia is also facing competition from other destinations like Hawaii, which is an all-time favorite of Japanese people. Now, um, the campaigns helps to generate awareness, remind people that Australia is there and we provide beautiful beach, we provide variety of dining options and also a very laid back atmosphere and friendly people to welcome Japanese people to our, um, to our land. And so, um, it is important to run this campaign at this time. I know Hawaii and other destinations are also running similar campaigns here in Tokyo, in Japan. And so Australia, it is timely for Australia to remind people what we can offer to our visitors. Dr. Monica Chen is a senior lecturer from the University of Queensland's Business School. And um, thanks very much for talking to Australia Wide from Tokyo today. Thank you very much. Lend us your ears and experience a world of audio content with ABC Listen. A world of sound. Like Expanse Pink Diamond Heist. How millions of dollars of diamonds were stolen in the middle of the bush and somehow smuggled to Europe. And dive deep beneath the surface of three crooked cops known as the Rat Pack in Dig. Sirens are coming. Dorothy handed Hallahan the money and when he walked off, the undercovers swooped. The ABC Listen app. Lend me your ears. Download it now from your app store. Right now, you're listening to Australia Wide. We're off to a mango farm now in Western Australia's far north. It's run by Luke and Beck McMullen, but they don't have the conventional farming pedigree behind them. Until recently, Luke was working full time as a police officer while Beck was nursing. But they've gone for the ultimate tree change. Not afraid of a challenge, the couple decided to give mango farming in the Ord Valley a crack. So yeah, so these are our trees. So we've only got the Kensington Pride variety. My husband and I have no experience in the mango industry other than being very keen consumers of mangoes uh, in the past. This opportunity came up to buy this property sort of end of last year and, and we ran with it and we're learning as we go and it's fabulous. So you're both working in town in Kununurra as in the police force and as a nurse. That's pretty different to farming and mango farming. How did you come to that decision to make the move and to um, develop your skills as farmers? Yeah, look, it is really different. Um, I still wonder that as well sometimes. But um, I think us personally as well, we've always been really active people. Um, We've always really enjoyed being outside as well as being as a police officer. Um, I'm also an arborist. Um, So uh, I'm used to working sort of amongst trees and outdoors as well. And um, I think we both saw this as a challenge as sort of scary as the challenge might be we both um, were also really excited by the uh, the opportunity to take it on and, and go with it and I guess we do sort of have that safety blanket a little bit some farmers aren't so lucky but um, look if, if it all falls over for us um, we've got something we can sort of go back to I think it probably made the decision a little bit, um, a bit easier. So your first season in how's it going? Yeah, so we are probably another week away from picking our fruit. Um, some growers in the region are ready to rumble. Um, I know that some other regions in Australia have, have started, so we're not far behind. We're ready to go. We're um, excited and we're in 
hopefully for a really good season. You can't read this from a book. You know, you have to learn and listen and, and look at previous practices and look to the future and, and evolve your thinking. The skills that you have in the police force and in healthcare as a nurse, have you been able to bring any of those to farming? I've certainly been able to bring patience, yeah. <laughs> and I guess probably yeah, stress management and able to work in difficult conditions for long hours. They seem to sort of be things that are happening in both of the, the industries at the moment. But um, we've also had to use a little bit of verbal judo, verbal communication in some heated dinner table talks every so often <laughs> as well. You know, while it's not so cut and dry in farming, I mean, I think the, the main bonus of farming versus our previous careers is that mangoes um, don't talk back to you. <laughs> That's for sure. Mangoes don't talk back to you. Beck and Luke McMullen, the new owners of River Farm Mangoes in the Ord Valley in the Kimberley in WA, and they were chatting to Steph Sinclair. Hats off to them. That is a huge challenge and, and giving it a crack. It's brilliant. That's Australia Wide for this Thursday. I'm Sinead Mangan. I hope you have a lovely evening. Cheerio. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.